The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. This morning's scripture passage comes from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of our fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast, is, is such the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow, his, bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light bring forth Break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. <clears throat> then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke of your mindset, the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brittany. I just want to highlight um, an announcement. Uh, whoa, the uh, women's Bible study uh, called The Well. Um, I feel like I need to give a little bit more um, context to it. What we are doing in launching this study is it's really the start of something we've been longing to do for some time, and that is resource the downtown business community. Um, there are around 30,000 people that live in downtown. There are about 63,000 people that work in downtown. And so we want to be a voice to those that are working, helping them through the workday um, by allowing them to feed on the Word of God, as well as um, help them understand how their work is 
integral to the mission of God um, through his people. And so this is the purpose. This is not, oh, we're going to have a couple of Bible studies and we hope eight or nine people. We really want to make a significant impact in downtown, but we cannot do it alone. Uh, We need you, if you live or work downtown or near downtown, um, to say, I'm going to be part of this mission. And this is how you can be part of the mission. You can attend, absolutely. Um, I know it's hard to pull away from a work day once you get in the rhythm, rhythm of things, uh, but you can sacrifice that time, and it really is not a sacrifice, um, sitting under the Word of God, but, um, but it is in terms of your work day. I get that, 100%. And some of you, your bosses may just say, no, you're not going. Uh, and that's, you know, can't do anything about that. Um, another thing you can do is help us spread the Word. Um, use whatever media outlets you're allowed um, to tap into to let others know about these studies. Um, And then obviously another is to bring someone or others with you. Um, And so we really want you to own this. Um, The women are are having this study on Tuesdays at uh, Bridges right now. And um, we are going to have a, um, a monthly study launching on Good Friday over the noon hour right here at Claiborne that, um, that we hope will also resource the business community. Um, it, it's the launching of a faith and work um, um, ministry to the business community and uh, we'll have lunch and we'll have a message uh, that will be directed toward business people. So, um, so those are two things that we really want you to be involved with, to attend, to help advertise, as well as um, to bring friends uh, and co-workers. So um, anyway, there you have that. Let's go now to uh, our passage for the morning. And I, Michael and I and uh, Terrence have been preaching through the... Um, First, the doctrine of the church, the essential doctrines of the church, and now our core values. And um, here is a core value of downtown church. To be part of downtown church, um, you, you should be understanding in new ways and applying this value to your life um, as a member of this church. Here it is. Mercy is the action of love. We will respond to God's mercy to us in Christ with lives of sacrifice treating others as God treats us in Christ. Um, Justice is uh, deeply tied into this, and that's what we're going to look at in this passage this morning. So uh, let's pray together, and then we'll do that. Father, we thank you that you're a God that blesses your word. God, I, I pray that you yet again would do just that, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word, that we might be corrected by your love, that we might be empowered by your love to live lives that the city might stand up, even the world might stand up and say, those people are a repairer of the breaches. (laughs) Those people are people that bring light and glory and goodness to their neighbor and to the city. Um, Father, We stand in a river of self-centeredness, of individualistic Christianity. Um, We stand before you this morning addicted to our comfort, terrified of our comfort being disrupted. 
Father, we are terrified of danger. We've been conditioned to think that we deserve safety. But, oh God, you've given us a glorious hope that, that should free us from the bonds of the, the yoke to fear and the, the bonds of slavery to comfort and riches and wealth. But, oh God, you've got to rip our fingers, our hearts off that we might know your love, that we might experience the reality of our redemption, and we might be your people in a very broken and cursed world. So God, would you flood us with your love this morning? Would you open our hearts? May we hear new things. May we hear them in new ways, maybe old things in new ways. But, oh God, don't leave us as we are. Confront both pride, apathy, and self-righteousness. And lead us to the cross. Lord Jesus, you're our only hope. We pray in your name. Amen. In 2006, a guy by the name of Blake McCoskey went on a trip to Argentina. And while there, he noticed a number of poor um, children without shoes. Uh, most of the children that he was around had no shoes, and uh, so he was burdened by this, and he decided to create a company where he would uh, make shoes, and for every pair sold, he would give a pair away. And most of us in this room know that company now as Tom's, Tom's Shoes. And it became a brilliant business model. Uh, he made a ton of money, gave a ton of shoes away, um, which has allowed them to um, address um, um, the um, education, um, poor education in other countries, as well as uh, dirty water, a lack of clean water in other countries. They've, they've done a ton of good. But in doing so, they tapped into and really struck something in um, a generation, and it was this, this whole sense of we are sick of uh, the government, we're sick of big corporation, and we're sick of church talking about the poor, talking about justice, and it became obvious that there was a generation that was excited and ready to actu actually do justice. And I don't think that was the intent. I don't think anybody could have possibly uh, predicted the, the response and, and the outcome and what the wave that was coming, but it certainly was uh, partially a result um, to uh, this business model and Tom's vision. But I want you to know this morning that the church being complacent about justice is no new thing. The, Isaiah is an 8th century prophet, um, a long time before Jesus entered the, the world and, and, and came on the scene, and yet Isaiah is dealing with God's people who are more impassioned um, and, and committed to religious stuff while turning a blind eye to injustice, and not just turning a blind eye to injustice, but contributing to the injustices of the day. Uh, let's look at 
the passage. Uh, verses 1 through 5, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, what are their sins? Listen, they seek me daily. What? I mean, isn't that what we preach up here? Seek the Lord with all your heart? They seek me daily to know my ways. And if they were a nation that did righteousness, um, and did not forsake the judgment of God, as if they were a nation. In other words, they're seeking my face while their lives are completely inconsistent. It says, they delight to draw near to God. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what we preachers preach? We should want to draw near to God. We should want to have our devotions. We have fasted. They are fasting. Um, we have never really even called, and we should be ashamed of that. I should be ashamed of that. I'm, the, I'm your lead pastor. Uh, we've never even really called for um, an official fast. Why have we humbled ourselves before God? Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. God's people come to worship, but their community is a community of violence toward one another. They're not getting along. There are fractures in their body, and maybe they're literally hitting each other, but I have a feeling it's more figuratively in their hearts. They're quarreling, they're fighting. And then God just starts mocking them. Is this the fast I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? God is mocking, he's making fun of them calling for a day to humble themselves and fast and, and seek the Lord's face. He is mocking them. Wow. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? I mean, this is God being sarcastic. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Wow. I mean, how blatant could he be? So what, what, are the, what have they not done? Verse 6, is this not the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? <laughs> Are you playing church and the poor don't even feel it? Are you doing church and there's no reconciliation, there's no equity, there's no one being a voice for the oppressed and the poor and the fatherless and the widow? Is this really, and, and if you look, this is how the book of Isaiah started. Verses 13 through 17 of chapter 1. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. Do you, folks, this is God speaking to his people. They have become a burden to me. When you people gather together, you are, you are like a weight on my shoulders. You are burdening me. I am weary of burying them. Of burying what? Feast and Sabbath observance. 
When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. You know what he's saying? When you pray, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I'm not going to listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Do you see it? One of the primary reasons we started downtown church is because we saw the statistics. We knew, knew a portion of the history. Much of it is being unearthed. But we saw that the church that started downtown, that, and, and there's always, um, well, that started downtown, moved east, and just kept moving east and east and east and east. And when the poor or African-American in our city, or maybe Latino now, moved in, came around, they just kept moving, kept moving, kept moving. And all the Christian schools, too, just kept moving, kept building, kept running. And we saw, as a result, the educational system, the impact on it, that the average uh, score of ACT in North and South Memphis is like 12 or 13, and yet in Cairoville, it's 21. We see single mothers not being protected, not having a voice, but believers moving away from them. We see our prison system, which is predominantly African-American, and African-Americans are not the predominant ones breaking the law. We could, I could just keep going. And we moved away, but we're where we are. So we can't just keep looking back. We've got to say, what are we doing? How is the mercy of God going to move us forward? Are we going to be a body that actually cares, that actually hears God and moves outward? Dear friends, I hope that we will be. But let's look at this passage. And let's see what we can learn and maybe be empowered in this value that I hope is not just written words on a page, but becomes the DNA of downtown church. The first thing we need to see that I think is abundantly clear, and that is God is saying, you can't con me. You cannot con God. Now, all right, how many people in here, we've never done this. I'm really excited to do this. Uh, how many people in here, by a show of hands, works or has worked for a nonprofit? Raise your hand. Raise them high. Lots of people. All right, if you work at downtown church, you work at a nonprofit, all right? So, all right, that is a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I figured it would be. Um, we have... MTR, TFA, MAM, Street, Soulsville, Advanced Memphis, Christ Community Health Center, Just City, Communities and Schools, The Collective, National Civil Rights Museum, Neighborhood Christian Center, and Downtown Church. And those are just, that's not to name them all. Uh, the reason you're here is because of this core value, probably. Not only, but this is a big reason why you're here and not some other church. But I want, to, I want to address us this morning. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can fathom? Like, like, it's beyond cure. Who can even fathom it? Who can even understand it? And we need to hear that this morning because here is my biggest fear. 
Um, and it's not really a fear. Here is what I feel like I need to speak into at downtown church. Not only can prayer and fasting and humbling ourselves and sackcloth and ashes and, and um, praying and reading the Bible and trying to seek God's face and know him better than you know, we've ever known him before, not only can this, not only can religion become religion, but doing justice can become our religion. And when doing justice becomes our religion, God will be just as displeased as he is with the religious. It's not going from the right to the left. And we're going to talk about what it is here in a minute. Because Jesus speaks into this. He, he speaks in. This is always the case. We're always swinging, you know. We're always saying, oh, you bad people, we're the righteous ones. Oh, you know, yo, you bad people, we're the righteous ones. And yet listen to Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. He's addressing the Pharisees who were just those religious hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Jesus said it, not me. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you bunch of sinners, you know, stop tithing, mint, dill, and cumin, stop doing all these religious things. No, what does he say? He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And thus you have the tension at being in downtown church. Typically you're in a church that's saying, ah, oh, those whoever, you know, those homosexuals, those whatever, you know, the sexually immoral, the divorced ones, you know, it's always the sexual sin that's kind of at the forefront that is exalted in the midst of, you know, the, the, the right. I guess the right would be over here, but that's your right, so that's good. You know, but the left, you know, and you know, we, we tithe, we tithe, mint, dill, and we're, we're great at giving money, and we, you know, we love to write those checks and start those uh, charities and those nonprofits that'll do our work for us. And, but over here, who do we have? We have those who are saying, yeah, we are not like them because I've given my life. Friends, there is no way to do justice with our hearts and our bodies and not feel better than somebody else. There's literally no way. Because we are sinners. And it's important. And I'm saying this not to tell those over here, stop tithing and say, you know, and these. No, what I'm saying is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified by one way through the, the saving work of Jesus Christ. You see, that though is the tension, and I love it here because some people are really mad at us when it comes to our view of sexuality, and yet others are really mad at us because of our view of justice. Many have left calling us a bunch of socialists. Like, others have left calling us a bunch of evangelicals. I don't even know what, I mean... And so nobody's happy with us. We're all in this tension, and that's how it should be. Because Jesus is not stamping one side or the other because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not standing here saying we're the perfect church, but, but what we are doing is we're standing here, we're saying God is for both. And man, we don't have many models of how to do this. It would be a whole lot easier if we just all gathered over here according to one little view, or we all gathered over here according to one little cause. We would get along so much better. It would be so much easier. But that's not the church. 
And so how do we do it? Well, again, we'll get to that here in a, min- in a minute. I listened to Tim Keller um, a while back on this whole topic, and he pointed to a fascinating illustration. He pointed to a woman by the name of Beatrice Webb, uh, some of you economists. I bet, I bet um, uh, Michael Rhodes is maybe the only guy in here that knows Beatrice Webb. Or maybe, I know, we got a lot of teachers in here, so you're probably saying, oh, that's not true. I know Beatrice Webb. I remember her. Anyway, she's kind of the mother of the European welfare state. Welfare state. And um, all of those that were writing and, and, and proposing and being proponents for welfare state in Europe um, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, all pretty much believed in the goodness of men, the goodness of mankind. And yet Beatrice Webb writes this in her journal in 1925. She said, in my diary in 1890, I wrote, quote, I had staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. That should be end quote, uh, so blame me for that. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man and how little you can change them by any change in the social machinery. Wow. She's basically saying my life's work has failed. No amount of knowledge or science will be of any avail unless we curb the bad impulse of the human heart. Wow. Wow. Well, who deals with that? (laughs) Should be the church. And then Keller concludes with this uh, quote that he said he spent a lot of time thinking about. I believe it. He writes this. Any religion or secular morality that tries to motivate people to do justice through duty and self-interest will fail. And, and it's true. It, it's, it, it will fail because both sides are fallen. It's exactly what the Bible says. Both sides are tempted to um, either be, um, you know, victims um, and entitled or Um, We are the righteous ones, we are the best ones, the governments do it, and that's all we have to do so we can wash our hands and never have to actively get involved with, you know, the poor and these other people. Let's just create a welfare state so the the government does it. Sound familiar? And... Um, and, and then we're going to shame people that don't agree with us. So this is how we're going to move, move our movement forward. We're going to find somebody not doing it, somebody popular, and we're going to absolutely shame them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and ruin them. I mean, that is the method of the day. And what does it do? It, there, it kills community. It divides us all. And it doesn't move us forward. It may change laws, and it may bring awareness, and that's good. But that is not, I mean, what God is after is a new community that loves in the manner that we should love, that treats each other with equity, not because there's a government law, but because it's the law of God, our Redeemer. So we, the church, are to be the the community, the light in the world. That the world sits back and goes, man, I may not believe in this, you know, the exclusivity of Jesus and all this, but man, look at how they love their neighbor. Look at how they're doing justice. Look at how the poor are, are being dignified. 
Look at how the fatherless and um, you know, the, the motherless, look at how the orphan and the widow, look at how this community is a radical new community in the way they love tangibly, not just in word only. But here's the temptation. We do justice and we feel as if God is now obligated to bless us. And that's what we're seeing here. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Well, we can also say, and here's where we're going to go when we swing over here, God, why have I spent my life mentoring this person and why have I spent my life fighting for this cause, Anne? Why do I sit in a classroom all day, every day with students trying to bring uh, educational equality, trying to, to close the gap, and I am worn out and burned out, and I'm disillusioned, and I want to quit? Why, God? You see, that is a mentality that we all do with some form or fashion. Why do I tithe and my life is not working out? Why am I standing on the right side of morality or the gender debate or whatever? And you, and look at my life. It, it, it exposes, our service of God exposes our motivation of doing the service, whether it's for God or self, and most of the time it's for self. And that will not last. Do you see how that simply cannot, it has no legs. It won't get us very far. If the race is a marathon, it may do a 5K, maybe. But we will burn out. We will become disillusioned. I've seen people even leave the faith because God hasn't owned up to or, or held up his end of the bargain. And it happens on this side, and it happens on that side. Why? Because you can't con God. It's not about serving Him so that. It's about serving Him because you were created to serve Him, because you have, you can do no other, because He is the lover of your soul. And then secondly, so Richard gets us some good news, all right. Love has to motivate justice for it to be biblical justice. Kirk Atkinson's a good friend of mine. He's planning a church much like ours in Nashville. And he is, um, uh, he moved into a, um, a neighborhood that probably will be gentrified. It's in North Nashville. Um, but um, he and his wife are, are no doubt in the minority in the neighborhood. Uh, most of his neighbors are African-American, and um, most of them are very poor. Um, and um, every time I give an illustration like this, I, I feel like I've got to, you know, qualify it. Um, not all black people are poor, all right? I said it, all right? <laughs> so, uh, and, and anyway, let's keep going. Um, but that's, that's his context um, in, in that neighborhood. Uh, most are poor. And um, recently, um, well, he, he's become really tight with two or three families. And the children of those families, um, a few of them are like eight or nine, some are in their early teens. And he's become much like a surrogate father, um, has a great relationship um, with uh, the families and um, has literally just changed his life. 
Well, two of the families came to him the other day and told him that they were being forced out of their homes and they had to move and they probably would never see him again. And he was brokenhearted. Uh, he called me and he said, I have never wept like this. Um, you know, and yes, they're trying to help and trying to make this not be stoked, but he has another couple that um, the husband professed faith in Christ. He called me to celebrate, and we celebrated together. Um, and the week that he was to be baptized in the church, he uh, lashed out at his wife, and she called the police, and it was a violation of his parole, and he's in jail now. And he called me, he's brokenhearted. Um, we've had children in our church shot I think of Jerome, who was part of our youth group in the early days, and um, Claiborne had been shut down, uh, Foot was still active, and um, he would visit Foot, and rival gangs um, were threatening him. His sister was living there, and he wanted to go visit her, and so he felt like he needed to protect himself and protect his sister. So he uh, found someone who offered to sell him a gun for $250, and he met that person to get the gun, and the guy shot and killed him and took his money. $250. kid was part of our body. Here's the deal. Doing justice and being part of justice. And, and let me go a little further. Being a member at downtown church, coming here, oh, it looks so glorious. I, I love first-time visitors. Man, this is how the kingdom of God should be. And this is, and it is. But you just wait a while. Come on. Get in relationship. Join a community group. It's hard to be black. Downtown church, it's hard to be white downtown church. We criticize each other. We're suspicious of each other. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. We hurt unintentionally and maybe sometime intentionally. We, we don't know how to be brothers and sisters because we haven't been brothers and sisters. And we're learning. And our learning curve is we're the ones who got to pay the price. And here's how we're, the only way we're going to do it and really do it the only way this is not just going to be a picture, a photo op for, well, there are no papers anymore, I don't know for who, for uh, Facebook or Twitter, uh, I guess, is if we are motivated by something higher than duty. And that something is the love of God. What motivates God to love you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, God is love. And the only lasting power, the only true motive of justice is love. Because love is always available because God is love. You don't burn out when you're doing it in love. You don't run out of gas when love is what is in your tank. You don't stop. You don't become 
utterly disillusioned. Because you have somewhere to run to. You're not running to the result. If God ran to the result, if we were His result, He would have given up a long time ago. But He perseveres with you. He loves you. We stood here and sang it and sang it and sang it. Why? Because we need it so badly. We have to be convinced that He loves us. And it's true. But why? Because He is loved, not because you're lovable. That's how we do justice. I'll love these students as long as they comply. I'll give my money. I'll mentor as long as they're grateful. And God says, really? What if I had used that one on you? Do you see it? He is love, and He loves you. Even though that's true about me, even though that's true about you, He's still loving you. Because He loves you through the person of Jesus Christ. We do not know what to say. That's what He just told Israel and Judah. You'd have no... Your, your prayer... I'm sick of your prayers. You think He's not sick of your prayers too and mine. But why does He listen? Because of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it humbling? It should be humbling. But oh, it should be empowering. So my prayers don't have to be perfect. That's what you're telling me, preacher? Yes, that's what the Bible's telling you. Because Jesus takes your pathetic, wandering, and boring prayers, and He rushes to the throne room of God, and He makes them exciting. Is that not glorious? I love it. And see, love is action toward another person. It's not just standing here saying, oh, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. It's not just that, oh, it feels so good because it's what we were made to believe. But if we know He loves us, then we go love somebody else. That's what the lawyer said. He said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, who's my neighbor, Mr. Smarty Pants? And Jesus says, oh, well, yeah. Well, let me just tell you a little story. There were um, there was a, a guy that uh, was beat up, left for dead on the side of the road, and uh, there were a couple of religious people that walked and, and were on to their religious meetings and saw him, and they got on the opposite side of the road and they walked away, but there was this Samaritan who was a complete outcast socially and culturally, and yet he came by, he stopped, he bandaged his wounds, put him on his horse, took him to an inn, paid for his stay, and got personally involved and sacrificed personally. And, and then Jesus said, now which one do you think was the neighbor to the guy? Okay, well that's the one you're to be. You see, that's justice. What is justice? I've literally had people ask me that. What is just? What is this justice? It's loving your neighbors yourself. I, I don't have to sit here and tell you that if your child was arrested, if you, you spend every dime you have, you go to court. You find your places, you find yourself in places you thought you would never be. If your child um, um, needs, you know, um, medical attention, you get it for him. If your child needs education, you get it for him. If your child is hurting, what do you see it? That's all it is. And now as we look, it, it, it's basically us owning that our neighbors are family. Oh, Richard, that's overwhelming. You got it. And you can't do it, nor can I. At least alone. 
It would change my life. It would threaten. Are you telling me that I'm to do this dangerous? Yeah, I am. If that's what God is saying, it's what Isaiah says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Why? Because this is what God has done for you. Do you realize that conviction of sin is nothing more than God's, than you smelling what God has always smelled? That's all conviction of sin is. When you're convicted of a sin, you are not informing God, you're, He is informing you. This is what you smell like. I've been smelling it the whole time. I can't believe you're just now smelling it. That's what it is. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's motivation. We see it in Corinthians. The the Macedonian believers have given this incredible gift out of their poverty. And so Paul comes and he's trying to get the greedy Corinthians who aren't tithing, who aren't giving, who are holding their money. And he says this, guys, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you through his poverty might become rich. And that motivates you. That 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 should change your life. You became rich, having every blessing and glory, being an inheritor of the kingdom. I've given you all that, God says, so you can give it all away because I'm your father. You're mine now. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What comes first? Love and then obey. Does that mean I don't have to obey if I don't love? No. Start writing that check. Start mentoring. Get involved. Start speaking up. Start doing something until your heart catches up to it. Pray for repentance. I mean, it's not one or the other. It's both and. It's not wait to obey until everything's in alignment. Everything is never going to be in alignment. That's why I feel like such a hypocrite every time I preach. Why, God, did you call me to preach? If you think it's because I've got everything aligned, you're nuts. You're deluded. All of us are sinners. All of us need deeper repentance. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 3 prays that the believers there would know how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God for them. So it would create a movement of worship and justice amongst the church. Well, lastly, when God says do justice, he means at least three things. And we really are. This is going to be really fast. Equality. Racial, social, Equality, the kingdom of God, his church at the very least should, should um, reflect equality. Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Verse 7 of Isaiah 58, God says, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. This was peculiar to Israel, and it's peculiar to the church, and that is we are here to treat our neighbor, even, yes, one who doesn't look like me, one who's from another country, we should treat our neighbor as our own flesh. You say, Richard, ah, so you're for immigration, and you're... I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a biblical statement. 
yes. I mean, this is it. It's very clear. There's no way to go to God's Word and not believe that we are to love our neighbors ourselves. The history of the white church in Memphis has undeniably ignored this. And now we are reaping the benefit of that to a large degree. It is impossible for some of my, white, uh, my African-American brothers and sisters to look at me and, and really love me because I am an older white man and I get it. I get it. Because I know, I mean, I can't look, I, I've got the same heart. And it's hard for me to look at people that have hurt me in the past and not lump them all, you know, in the, I mean, I, I do get it. But that's what we have to get over. That's what we have to work through. Secondly, the vulnerable, when justice reigns in the church, the vulnerable are objects of special concern. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Over and over and over again, God is a, is a God to the fatherless and the widow and the orphan. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure it's to take care of the widow and to care for the orphan. It's to bring them into our house. It's to share our table. This is what it's about, and this is what justice is. So therefore, if that's not happening, you need to make changes in your life where this becomes a reality for you. And we can all do that. And we can talk more about how to do that if you have questions. And thirdly, generosity. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, share. Galatians 2.10, Paul says, they asked us to remember the poor, which was the very thing I was eager to do. I mean, there was no church planning that neglected the poor, that, that, that excluded the poor. And yet that is the thrust of modern day church planning. Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a man insults his, a poor man insults his maker. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. The American approach is, if I have money, it's because I earned it. The biblical approach is, if I have money, it's because God gave it to me. He put me in the right family. He put me here. He gave me this education. He allowed me to be born at this certain time. So where to share our money? We're to share ourselves. We're to be generous. Well, that's socialism. No, socialism is the government saying you have to do it. This is God saying you have to do it. The, the, the body of Christ is to be a willing, a, a happy, uh, an exuberant social movement. And ah, uh, what happens when the church revives? If you pour yourself out for the hungry... And satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. The world will say, wow, who are these people? Not, wow, who are those people? You see it? And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. Sin makes our bones weak. I think of that my bones ache all night long, the, the psalmist that's, that's begging for forgiveness. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. 
In other words, you will wipe away the memory of all your forefathers did. Wow. You should be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. That sounds like a safe neighborhood to me. That sounds like revived communities. That sounds like equity. That sounds like something that is a product of generosity and self-sacrifice. That sounds like the kingdom of God with Jesus on his throne. The kingdom of God where people come and bow down to him. They don't expect him to bow down to their little whims. Oh, church, we need to repent, but we need to repent knowing that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. It's not repent, maybe he'll love us. He already loves you with all the guilt that you may feel right now, with all the dirtiness you may feel right now. He is loving you in Christ Jesus. Right now, you don't have to go do justice to get his love. You have his love. So get out, so drink that love in, dear friend. Drink it in and say, how do you want me to lay my life down? Dear friends, may it be tangible for you this week. May it be tangible. Some need to start giving money. Some need to start giving more. Some of us need to be mentoring. Some of us need to maybe move. Maybe I don't know what it means, but God knows what it means. Work it out. Ask somebody in this body, what does this mean for me? Be open. That's what Jesus would have for his people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for these tables that we can come and not just hear about your mercy, but we can receive your mercy, your broken body, your shed blood. Oh God, thank you for these tables. I pray that we would drink in your forgiveness in the midst of our repentance. And oh God, you would do great and mighty things in this body. Oh Father, I pray that you would convict us of our self-righteousness. You would convict us of our unfaithfulness. And that we would meet at these tables at the very cross of Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen.